0: Daniel Craig's final turn as James Bond is finally here. Today I'm talking about No Time to Die. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I'm talking about No Time to Die, a long-delayed, uh, hotly-anticipated, and final installment of Craig's James Bond films. So, finally saw this with friends the other day, and I thought I'd give you... I'm gonna. This is one of two reviews. This is going to be just kind of the generic one, in case you want to go in relatively cold. And the next one's going to be a spoiler-ish discussion of things that I thought worked and didn't work. So, without further ado, let's get started. When it comes to timely releases, Daniel Craig's Bond is at a rough go. Casino Royale had all the time it needed. From there on out, it's been a bumpy ride. Quantum of Solace was rushed out, at least by Bond standards. Skyfall had to figure out a release in the midst of MGM's bankruptcy. And Spectre had a ton of reshoot issues to tackle. And No Time to Die had the misfortune of being slated for release in the midst of a pandemic, and was perpetually delayed and arguably lost momentum in the public eye. So now, finally, we get the final chapter of Daniel Craig's Bond. So can it match the hype? Five years after the events of Spectre, Bond is enjoying an isolated retirement from his former life, his go-to move at this point. But when he's given a chance to take down a former Spectre scientist, Bond re-enters the spy game to finish the job he started and keep the people he cares about safe. I really like No Time to Die. It doesn't reach the rebooted high of Casino Royale or Skyfall's thematic focus, but it has a lot of elements that I really like. It is a bit messy. In it, is, it's, is it a bit messy in its attempts to make a send-off movie? Yes, but the following elements make it worth the watch. The first is stellar action. If there's one gripe Bond fans have had against Craig's Bond, it's that the set pieces lack like the gadgets-fueled fun of the series in favor of a more grounded and gritty approach. And right out of the gate, director Kari Joji Fukunaga does an excellent job of blending these two. In many ways, the set pieces play like a greatest hits collection for Craig's Bond and the franchise with an early chase that features the old school Ashton Martin and all of its old toys, a bike chase a la Skyfall, and some intense hand-to-hand combat. And this is because True Detective Kari Joji Fukunaga, at the helm, we also get a handful of long-take-action scenes that had me thinking of Daredevil and tactical gunplay. It's not the most inventive the series has been, but it is solid regardless. Oh, and hey, here's how you write women in a Bond film. I'm beyond thrilled that this movie not only has four solid female characters, but none of them fall into the worst of the Bond girl tropes, something Skyfall definitely had a problem with. Of course, Lashana Lynch brings plenty of charisma and presence to her performance as the new 007, Nomi, Lea Seydoux is is our emotional linchpin for Bond, and even Naomi Harris's Penny gets to be more than a banter partner. Saying much more gives away some fun bits, so I'm going to highlight a part that would be handled completely differently even two Bond movies ago, Anna de Armas's Paloma. In most Bond movies, movies, Paloma would be a pretty face who comes in, helps Bond, kinda, or sleeps with him, and is killed off. While Armas is certainly dressed to look like Bond women of old, the rest of these stereotypes don't pop up. She presents herself as inexperienced and reckless, but she's a clear mental and physical equal with Bond, gets a ton of action highlights, and leaves the film intact, having done her job to perfection. Which is weird to highlight in retrospect, because it's not that hard to do, but it's great that this movie made me like her right away and left me wanting more, and not just because she was already dead. I'm guessing this is where the script doctoring by Fleabag's Phoebe Waller-Bridge came into play since we've still got plenty of one-liners and wisecracks that cut the tension and keep scenes light. This is also the most commitment to Bond as a character since Casino Royale. If Casino Royale was about cracking Bond's rough exterior and showing how it was built up again, No Time to Die removes every layer of Bond's artifice, and I really liked it. Not only because Daniel Craig is perfectly suited to this version of Bond and can deliver heartfelt monologues and devastating one-liners in the same breath, but also because I feel like I know who this Bond is, what he values, why he fights, and even how his dark humor is used as both a defense mechanism and also kind of who he is. Craig's Bond has always been defined by vulnerability, but No Time to Die is the most complete version of this character to date. The film is also going through all of Craig's Craig bonds old foes and friends to give them a final moment to shine or a fitting send-off. So even if it's been years or the connections have been rough, Craig gets a chance to connect and emote with these characters as Bond in a meaningful way one last time. That said, the film's biggest problem is the moving target of its theme. At first, it looks like we're tackling Bond's perpetual trust issues, then we're briefly addressing government misdeeds for the sake of safety, before we ignore that and flow back to wrapping up loose ends and trust again. It all works, but it is often clunky, and means the finale doesn't hit quite as hard as it could. The main ding is a weak villain. I wanted to like Remy Malek's Lucifer Safin a lot more than I did. In terms of his plans, lair, creep factor, and Malik's performance, he's near Silva levels for Craig's Bond. But so much of his origin in planning feels like a missed opportunity. This film, much like Skyfall, wants to show Safin as a dark shadow of Bond. Someone who also wants vengeance versus Blofeld's goons, who uses unsavory means to get it done. But when it comes to larger plans, that's where the motivation is hard to piece out. Out of nowhere, he claims to be in love with Bond's love interest and has designs for reshaping the world as he sees fit. I think the best way to describe it is that the plan and the technology the villain plans on using is more terrifying than the villain itself. Still, it's a fitting send-off for Craig's Bond. Though it can't reach Skyfall's explosive highs, No Time to Die sends Craig's Bond off in style. 7 out of 10